promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 67. May God be merciful to us and bless us. May the light of God's face shine upon us. Let your way be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide all the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has brought forth its increase. God, our own God, has blessed us. May God give us blessing, and may all the ends of the earth stand in awe. Amen. A reading from Ezekiel 31, beginning at the first verse. In the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his hordes, Who are you like in your greatness? Think of Assyria, a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches and shady foliage, and of lofty height. Its top was among the clouds, the waters caused it to grow, the underground springs made it tall directing the rivers all around, the place where the tree was planted and sending their channels to all the trees of the field. Therefore the cedar became greater in height than all the trees of the field. Its branches multiplied and its boughs grew long as it spread them out because of the abundant water. All the birds of the sky nested in its branches and all the animals of the field gave birth beneath beneath its boughs. All the great nations lived in its shade. It was beautiful in its size and the length of its limbs, for its roots extended to abundant water. The cedars in God's garden could not eclipse it. The pine trees couldn't compare with its branches, nor could the plane trees match its boughs. No tree in the garden of God could compare with it in beauty. I made it beautiful, with its many limbs and all the trees of Eden which were in God's garden envied it. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Since it towered high in stature and set its top among the clouds and it grew proud on account of its height, I determined to hand it over to a ruler of nations. He would surely deal with it. I banished it because of its wickedness. Foreigners, ruthless men from the nations, cut it down and left it lying. Its limbs fell on the mountains and in every valley its bows lay broken in all the earth's ravines. All the peoples of the earth left its shade and abandoned it. All the birds of the sky nested on its fallen trunk, and all the animals of the field were among its boughs. This happened so that no trees planted beside water would become great in height and set their tops among the clouds, and so that no other well-watered trees would reach them in height, for they have all been consigned to death to the underworld among the people who descend to the pit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're going to be finishing up this section here, this this section between um, Ezekiel 25 and 32 that is dealing with uh, the 
prophecies against against the nations. And if you remember back a few weeks ago, we, we looked at, at chapter 25 and, and 26. Um, I think we started with chapter 25, where, where we took a look at God's love for his people, even when he's disciplining us, even when he is uh, banishing us, exiling us. That's what, that, that's what we see here. We see that God is going to be punishing and exiling the people of Israel because of their desire to have a world without him. And so he says, okay, I'll give that to you. But then he comes to their defense when it comes to the other countries around them uh, that belittle them and, and, and attack them. And, and we talked about how um, how it is our nature to, when, when someone falls, uh, when someone falls, we tend to want to pile on. We want to go after them. We want to go in for the kill. If they're wounded, we try to go at their weaknesses. And so uh, we, we took a look at how Ammon and Moab and Edom and uh, Philistia uh, did that in, in the ways that they harmed the people of Israel. They, they jumped on board with the work that God was doing through Babylon and made things worse. We, we looked in uh, chapters 26 and 27 dealing with with Tyre and 28, how, how Tyre represents this, um, Tyre and Sidon represent this, this culture for us of extreme wealth, wealth that pulls us away from God, this culture that uh, uh, causes us to, to build our deities of gold and silver and bronze and to turn away from the Lord and trust in our wealth and trust in how awesome we are and to even uh, see in the downfall of others how um, we can uh, get something from the, the downfall of those other people, how we can find a way to uh, enrich ourselves through the poverty of others and, and how that was an issue for Tyre and, and Sidon. And now we've been sticking with Egypt. And here we're, we're looking at how God is going after Egypt for the fact that uh, Egypt has become this God for the people of Israel. We have to go all the way back to Jeremiah where we see at the end of Jeremiah, uh, Babylon comes in and they they take over Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. They exile people. And Babylon leaves uh, um, some people in charge who tell the folks in, in Judah, um, okay, well, let's just, just honor Babylon, serve them, and things are going to be okay. Well, and of course, that wasn't good enough for certain people there in in Jerusalem, in Judah. And so they end up killing this governor that was set set over them. And at first they think things are going to go okay. And then they realize that, wait, no, Babylon already destroyed Jerusalem. They're going to come after us now. And so they steal Jeremiah and steal a bunch of other people. And there's basically this forced second exile to Egypt. They think if they go back to Egypt, things are going to be okay. And there's this sense historically that there never really was a tie broken between Egypt and the Israelites. That even even to this day, there is archaeological evidence of rather profound uh, settlements of Jews in Egypt. Uh, even, even going back pre-exile, there's you know, the whole interesting saga of people trying to find the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? And I'm not talking Indiana Jones. Um, 
And so here, uh, chapters 31 and 32 are interesting. And, I, and I'm, I'm titling this Memento Mori in, in the sense that, that remember you are going to die. Uh, in, in chapter 31, we have uh, God using a different empire as an example for Egypt and for the people of Israel uh, of why you cannot trust in the status quo. Uh, he, he paints this picture of Assyria, right? And Assyria, prior to Babylon, they were the, the kings of, of their castle. They, they had taken over, for instance, the northern kingdom of Israel. They had taken over large swaths of uh, modern, the modern Middle East. And, and then what happens? Well, they thought they were awesome. They thought things were going well. And, and people, uh, to the point that Israel, both the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, looked to Assyria and saw how they prospered and thought, wow, we want to be like them. It's one of the, it's one of the downfalls. It's, it's the huge turning point for the people of Judah and, and the downfall of Jerusalem because um, one of the kings in, in Judah uh, gets a chance to see an altar built in Damascus in, in, in the Assyrian Empire. And he decides, hey, I, I want an altar like this at, at our temple. And so he comes back with the with this design, and he commands the priests to build this altar. Never mind the fact that God already gave commands of how the altar was to be built and how the temple was be, to be managed. All, all the people, including uh, here Judah, looking at the greatness of Assyria and saying, "We want to be like them." That's that's our mantra, isn't it? We look around. The, we're, we're told by the world, "Look around the world." See the people who are wealthy. See the people who are quote-unquote successful. See what it is that they are willing to do. And you do that and try and become just like them. It's sort of like this formulaic type of a thing. And, and it's often not bad. My, my son, he's a, he's a swimmer. Uh, so is my daughter. Um, and they're both rather talented. My daughter is finishing up uh, college. She's not able to swim this year, but my, my son is in high school and, and he's been, he's been doing really well. Uh, but swimming is just an outlet for his own athleticism and his own determination. He's one of these kids that, uh, you can't give him a physical punishment that he won't, uh, enjoy in the sense of if he has a coach tell him okay give me a hundred push-ups he'll give a hundred push-ups even if it kills him even though now i think he can do probably a hundred push-ups uh, but he has this quote from michael phelps a swimmer stuck in his head where he basically said be willing to do the things that others are not and that's that's kind of a good mantra Right, uh, in the sense of being being willing to do hard things, which I, which I think are necessary, but we have to decide what those things are for. If if doing those hard things is for us to become wealthy and powerful and successful, whatever that means for our own good, then then they're probably not the best. But if doing those hard things is to make of us a better person. Right to to help us deal with future adversity better, then that's probably a good thing. I would think. 
Uh, Being willing to not be satisfied with the things that we don't do well and trying to become a better overall person. I think think those things are good. Where where it gets us in trouble, right, is when we decide that we're going to take those quote-unquote good things, (laughs) whatever those things might be, and we are to try and use them to gain prestige for ourselves. And that's the struggle that Assyria was having. Well, well, God uses Assyria as this example for Egypt because Egypt thinks it is more awesome than it, than it should be. Uh, and, and God says, if this could happen to Assyria, this great nation that was so high and now it's been brought low because Babylon shows up and takes them out. The Persians show up and take out any remnants. Uh, the Greeks show It's this continuous cycle of just like a large percentage in that area of people that, that they continue to think they're awesome and they're brought low by another group that God somehow brings in to, to cause struggles. And so here he's, uh, He's wanting to paint this picture for us of basically saying, don't don't look at the prestige of others and think, oh, if we were just like them, things would be awesome. Instead, we have to step back and go, but for the grace of God, go I into this fall. That I'm going to think of myself too highly than I ought, and it is going to cause me pain and sorrow. And so, uh, you know, it, it, there, there's this question of, of looking around the world and, and seeing the fall of others and seeing the rise of others and not taking any of that for granted. Looking at all those things and, and trying to compare ourselves in such a way to say, how, how am I different than them? Could that not just be me too one day? That that I am, it's going to be very difficult for me to avoid a similar conundrum, a similar fall. And so it, it should cause us to have this sense of humility and this desire for mercy from the hands of God. And and there's this interesting, uh, in verse uh, in verse. Uh, 16 and 17 here of chapter chapter 31 he writes i made the nations quake of the sound of its downfall when i threw it down to sheol that is the realm of the dead to be with those who descend to the pit that's same thing then all the trees of eden the choice and best of lebanon all the wall-watered trees were comforted in the underworld meaning all these other nations that have fallen they see the fall of assyria and they're actually comforted comforted in their own suffering, in their own uh, death, because they're able to sit there and go, well, wait, I wasn't as awesome as, as Assyria, and even Assyria has fallen, so I guess things are going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. They too descended with it to Sheol, to those slain by the sword, as its allies they had lived in its shade among the nations. Basically saying that there's going to be comfort in knowing that the same end is going to happen to all. And that actually is a good and bad comfort for us, I think, when we look around the world and we see all these successful people and we, we tend to look at this life and say, well, our life needs to be this way for things to be awesome, right? And, and to realize that not everything is going to be awesome. Not, not everything is going to be great in that manner. And so that we have to be willing to, to step back and, and keep ourselves humble and, and think about the fact that we all have the same end. We are all dust, and to dust we shall return. 
and and to to realize that others have fallen why 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 can't i what what is going to save me from it uh, and then the chapter 32 is this whole lament over pharaoh and it's funny because it'll be like uh, he he thinks himself to be this lion this great uh, champion this powerful beast but then god says no you're you're a crocodile you're this this sea monster that it waits in the, it waits in the deep and it ambushes people but you aren't the king of the jungle you you are still dangerous you are still powerful but you're not as awesome as you think you are and uh, he the the first half of chapter 32 goes into all this gory detail of what he's going to do to pharaoh basically uh, the 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 notion with an old testament understanding here is that the the direction that things go with the king is the direction that things go with the nation and so the king ends up being this this stand-in for how the fall of the nation is going to take place but i love that that opening portion where it says in 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 verse 2, son of man, lament for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and, and say to him, you compare yourself to a lion of the nations, but you are like a monster in the seas. You should thrash about in your rivers, churn up the waters with your feet, and muddy the rivers. Basically saying you're all show in a way. But it makes me think of this meme that that has gone around online where uh, it's, it's uh, you know, where Paul says to, to imitate Christ. I imitate me as I imitate Christ kind of a thing. And so then it has three pictures. It says one picture of this great, awesome lion with huge mane and he's roaring and all this other stuff. And that's uh, on top, it says Jesus. And then there's this house cat, this orange tabby, right? And it says Paul. And then there's this picture that looks like it was drawn by a three-year-old of, of a lion. And it's just brutal. It says us, right? <laughs> this sense of we, we tend to always think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And like I said, I, I want to title this Memento Mori in the sense that we have to remember our own death. We have to remember the fact that we are vapor, that, that someday soon we will die. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 50 years from now. We have no idea. But when we remember that, when we basically live our lives stuck on Ash Wednesday, that we are dust and to dust we shall return, uh, then uh, we... Um, we tend to walk, I think, a little bit more humbly. But then we also start to realize what sort of grace and power and amazing love Christ has for us. The, the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the dead, then starts to take on more weight to it. it that um, we, we start to sit here and realize that, that the resurrection of the dead is actually the greatest promise of all. That we make such a big deal about the redemption of our, the forgiveness of our sins, which is huge. It is necessary. We absolutely have to live in that every single day because every single day we sin and we have to be reminded that Christ forgives us on account of his mercy and grace found in his blood shed for you. But then also the resurrection of the dead. The death is coming for us all, and the great release and freedom that we receive in Christ is life in him. And so the second half of verse 32 is uh, basically this, this comment on the fact that all these other great nations before you are ending up in the same place. 
he lists them off. Besides Egypt, he's got Alam, which was a, a nation subordinated uh, under Assyria. He has Meshech and Tubal, which were these nations near the Black Sea that they were the kings of, of getting people slaves. Um, they, they have uh, the Sidonians and Edom, which we've already talked about. Um, and then, and then, of course, they have they have all uh, the the hordes of Pharaoh saying that it's not just going to be Pharaoh; it's going to be his entire army that is going to descend into the dead. Church, the greatest promise that you can receive from God is that He says, "I am the resurrection and the life. Though you die, yet shall you live." But you have to be reminded regularly of the fact of that opening part: though you die. That, that the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one to whom we are to cling to for our life, is Christ. And that to walk in this life in a memento mori way, to be reminded that we are dust and to dust we shall return, is actually one of the greatest gifts that we can receive from God. Because as soon as we remember those things, then we are able to not only look at ourselves and not take ourselves so seriously, but then we look at the world and we look at people around us and we don't take each other so seriously anymore and and begin to live lives of a little bit more mercy and grace because we realize that there are fallen people all around us and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Well, this completes the section dealing with the prophecies to the nations. Now we're going to be entering into a part that we're going to, we're going to take a little bit more uh, time to go through than we have in these other sections because we're going to be coming up to uh, these parts of things like Ezekiel being a watchman and God being a shepherd and the dry bones and some of my favorite parts of this book where we get the gospel poured out upon us like a fire hose to to cling to. So uh, if you want to read ahead, you can go ahead and read chapter 33. And I'm thinking it's probably going to be two parts, uh, but we'll see because there's so much there to to read and to, to discover. But let's go ahead and pray. Oh Lord God, enliven and preserve your church with your perpetual mercy. Without your help, we mortals will fail. Remove far from us everything that is harmful and lead us toward all that gives life and salvation through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, church, continue to share uh, this podcast with whoever you can. Um, Give us reviews as best you can so we can be found on uh, on the different podcasting websites uh, by those who haven't found us yet. Uh, But with that, please go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.